Oh God, thank you. Thank you that we can be still and know that you are God. Father, give us pause in this time, that your word would speak clearly to us, that we would hear your voice and no other voice, Father. Give you full permission, Lord, to speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. May our hearts be open to you. May we discern what you have to say to us, and may it transform how we live. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. There was an old, poor woodcutter. He lived in Brazil, didn't have much. In fact, he was of that age where woodcutting was going to become really difficult. He needed to retire, and so the village folk came to him, and they said, you know that beautiful white horse that you have, the one that that the king came to see, and, and he pled with you. He wanted to buy it from you. You have this incredible horse. Sell the horse. And you're going to be okay. Sell the horse and and you'll be able to retire. You'll be able to live happily. Just sell your horse. The old woodcutter said, you think I can just sell my horse? This is like family to me. I can't give up my horse. Well, one morning, he woke up. He went out to the stable to his horse and his horse was gone. He didn't know what had happened. Well, all the village folk came and they said, see, we told you, you were too poor to be able to protect such a beautiful horse, to take care of such a beautiful horse. We told you, you should have sold it. Now look at what has happened to you. Look at how terrible of a situation you're in. The woodcutter looked at him and said, who are you to say that this is a terrible situation? Who are you to say whether this is a good thing or a bad thing? I said, you old fool, we know that this is a bad thing. That beautiful horse is gone. Well, it wasn't too long. And he woke up in the morning and he went out to his stable and he found something. His horse had gone out into the wild and brought back 12 wild horses with it. And now he had 13 horses. And so the village folk came back and they said, you were right. We thought it was bad that your horse left, but it was a good thing. Look at what your pasture is filled with now. And he said, who are you to say whether that's a good thing or a bad thing that I now have 13 horses? He had a young son who decided to break the horses. And, and they, the, all the village folks said, this is wonderful. Of course it's a good thing. We know it's a good thing because now you can sell all these horses and you'll live happily. Well, his young son began to try to break the horses. And he got bucked off of one of the horses. And he had such a terrible accident that he was no longer able to use either of his legs. And as his son was there in a wheelchair, the villagers came to tell him, you were right. We thought it was a good thing that you had 13 horses, but it was a bad thing. Look at now your only son. He's in a wheelchair. The old man said, you guys never learn, do you? Who are you to say whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that my son is now in a wheelchair? Well, that country entered into a fierce war before long, and a bigger country was uh, coming in to uh, take things over, and all of the villagers were drafted into the army, and it was very unlikely that any of them would survive because of the fierceness of the enemy. 
All of the villagers, I should say, were drafted except for one son who was in a wheelchair. Have you ever experienced some things in life that you're sure it's going to be the worst of things and then it turns out to actually be one of the best of things? Or sometimes you experience something you think this is going to be the best of things and it turns out to be not so good in your life. Well, there's a a man that I want to look at the story in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, there's this fascinating story of a man named Zacharias. I like that name uh, because it's kind of similar to my name, it's Zachary. And Zacharias was a priest. And as a priest, let's see if we can keep going here. As a priest, he got to go to Jerusalem just two times each year to, well, besides the major feasts, but there were two times that his course got to go particularly to Jerusalem. But I want to introduce you to what took place in Zacharias' life. And I want you to look at the story, maybe with fresh eyes. Maybe you've looked at this before, but I invite you to either open your Bible to Luke chapter 1 or to follow along on the screen as we read through this story together. Luke chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 8. We're going to come back to verses 5 to 7, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 1 and verse 8. And it reads like this. Luke chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, So it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division. Now there was 24 divisions that were established by David. 24 different divisions of priests. According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So to give you a little idea here, you know how many priests there were in the time of Jesus? They estimate there was about 18,000 priests. There's a, a lot of priests. And there weren't that many duties that were uh, of, of the, the, the most special type that you would do in your one chance to go to the temple, your two chances to go to the temple each year for one week at a time. 24 courses of pr- priests, they would go in the 52 weeks out of the year, they would go about two times a year for a week at a time. And you would go to Jerusalem, and in that time you would get to have the opportunity to serve in the temple. And there were about four different positions that particularly there were lots cast for. One had to do with preparing the altar and the sacrifice. The other had to do with actually offering the altar, the the sacrifice. Another had to do with coals that were brought in for the altar of incense. But there was one that was more special, more coveted, the, the most, uh, the highlight of a priest's life. And that was to go in and offer the incense on the altar of incense. You see, when you read the book of Hebrews, you come to realize something. Hebrews chapter 9, it gives us this idea that, that actually that altar of incense, which because of the fact that the incense went into the most holy place, it was considered as a part of the most holy place almost. It was so close to the presence of God. And, and a priest only got to offer the incense on that altar one time in his entire life. And you imagine, you're a priest, you're trained for this, and the closest that, besides the high priest who got to go in the most holy place once a year, the closest that you ever come to God is this one time, one moment in your life when you get to come and offer incense on this altar. And so the lot is cast, it tells us. His lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And 
We don't know exactly what that looked like as they went to cast lots. In fact, some Jewish tradition tells us that they did it with fingers rather than the typical casting lots that we know of, where they would each hold up a certain number of fingers and you have all of those hundreds of priests and the, the leader would say a number and then he would count the number of fingers until he came and he, when he stopped counting, that was the person that got chosen for that particular position. But the lot was cast and Zechariah was chosen. The one time in his life that he would get to approach that close to the very presence of God, the most holy place. What an incredible moment. You imagine the, the feelings that were going through Zechariah. Imagine as he, he thought about how his whole life he had been looking forward to this moment. And he, maybe he had begun to wonder if he'd actually still have this opportunity. You see, once you had done it, they took you off the list and you weren't allowed to do it again. And here comes the moment of his life. He's going to get to walk through the holy place, past the candelabra, the table of showbread. And he's going to get to walk right there to the altar of incense and to offer incense that will go into the very the most holy place of the temple. Verse 10 continues, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now this, this gives us a picture of what would take place in the morning and at the evening when they had the sacrifice. The sacrifice would take place and then they would take the coals and they would bring it in to the altar of incense. Now what did the altar of incense represent in the temple service? It represented the prayers of God's people. We see that in Revelation. That the altar of incense represented God's people in prayer. And if you think about it, it says here the whole multitude is gathered together praying. And we know that they, they especially prayed for two things. They were confessing sin and they were asking for the Messiah to come. And they knew that that time prophecy was being fulfilled, that it was time for the Messiah to come. But if you think about it, it's not just those who are gathered there around the temple there in Jerusalem who are in prayer at this moment. Think about Daniel. You remember how he would pray three times a day? Where did he face as he prayed? He faced towards Jerusalem. There's a reason for that. They would pray at the time when the sacrifice was being offered in the morning and the evening. He also did it in the middle of the day. You read in Acts how Peter went up to the temple to pray at the hour of prayer, but then another time he's in Joppa and he's up on the rooftop at the hour to pray and he's praying on the rooftop. So here you have the, the diaspora, you have Jews spread throughout the, the, the Roman world and, and you have all of them stopping in that moment to pray. They're all facing towards Jerusalem. Everybody is focused on this one moment and Zechariah gets to be the person to come and offer the incense on that altar, and to offer prayers on behalf of God's people. It's an incredibly special moment, a high moment in a priest's life, the, the greatest moment of his life. And as he comes in, uh, he would have prepared himself. He would have purified himself. In fact, they even say that, that there was some inspection that would take place by other priests to make sure there was no defects in him because he had to come before God with purity of heart. And as he's there, suddenly, he's not alone. Suddenly, someone appears there in the temple. Verse 11 says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Suddenly, something happens to interrupt this great moment of his life. 
To give you a backdrop, there is 400 years between Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament, and the beginning of the New Testament when we have this story taking place. 400 years since we have on record that anyone has heard from God. 400 years or more, actually, since an angel has appeared. Since this angel has appeared, it's been uh, more like 600 years since the angel Gabriel has appeared. They've not been seeing miracles. They've not been seeing divine visions. And suddenly, in that moment, there's an angel there in in the holy place, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And notice this. Verse 12. And when Zacharias saw him, he was what? He was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Now, you'll notice in the Bible that oftentimes people are troubled when they come in contact with angels. Somehow we don't, we get too familiarized with the concept, and somehow we think that, that there's something so similar between us that it wouldn't be that hard to come in contact with a holy being. But every time when you see in the Bible that somebody comes in contact with an angel, There's the feeling of trouble when they recognize who it is. There's a a feeling of fear that comes upon them. Why is that? What's going on? Why is it that that Zechariah is is fearful in this moment? What's what's going on in the heart and mind of Zechariah right now? Have you wondered that before in reading this story? Why was it that he was troubled? Why was it that fear fell upon him? Later we find out that Mary, when Gabriel appears to her, She's also troubled, but it doesn't mention that fear fell upon her, although the angel does say, do not be afraid. As Zachariah is there, he's seeing this vision. He's troubled. He's fearful. What's going on inside of Zachariah? Well, it's interesting. If you, we were talking about it actually in early service today. You know, what might have been some of the reasons that he's fearful in this moment? What, what might have been going through his mind? What, what might have made him afraid? And somebody pointed out, well, well, you know what happens. If this is close to the most holy place, you know what happens with the priest when they go into the most holy place? They would put bells around the robe, and then they would tie an, a rope around his ankle or his waist, and they would send him in, And they would hope that he wouldn't die in there. But if he did, they could pull him out. Have you heard that before? Well, there's one problem. That's nowhere in the Bible. The bells are in the Bible, but there's no rope in the Bible. In fact, there's not even rope in the Talmud. There's no rope until the the Dark Ages when they came up with this concept of God. There's no record that the ropes were tied around high priests. In fact, can you think of priests that were struck down in the Bible? There's a couple. Early on in the the sanctuary service, in fact, they were the the sons of the very first priest, Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. But besides that, we have others. There's one other story maybe of somebody being struck down, another of a person having leprosy. In thousands of years, it's not like priests are often going into the the temple and they're being struck down by God. And yet we tend to have this concept that if people went in there, they often were struck down. Now don't get me wrong. It's important for us to recognize the holiness of God. 
There is something completely different about what God is like. He is so incredibly good. He's so incredibly unlike us that we need to recognize that, that we need a transformation in order to become like him. He's totally different than us. That's what the word holy means. But notice this, the Desire of Ages, page 115, commenting on this sanctuary service. Watch this. It says, Satan misrepresented God and misinterpreted the rites that pointed to the Savior. Men were led to what? To fear God as one who delighted in their destruction. The sacrifices that should have revealed his love were offered only to appease his wrath. You see, the temple service became something that it was never designed to be. It became like the other ancient Near East temples where you came and you offered a sacrifice because that God in there was angry. And if you didn't offer the right sacrifice, that God would strike you down. And we tend to develop the same picture of God and it leads to fear. But that's not the picture of the God of the Bible. His purpose in building the sanctuary, what did he say? Build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among you. I want to come close to you. And what did did the incense represent? It represented Jesus' righteousness. What did the sacrifice represent? It represented Jesus' sacrifice. All of it represented that God was the one extending himself, coming. Like we talked about last week, God's the first one to come knocking. He's the first one to come seeking. He's the first one that asks. And he says, come with arms open wide. He's asking us to come. But when Zacharias saw the angel, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. He's wondering, what's going to happen to me now? And what might it have been in Zacharias' life that might have led him to feel this way? Well, if we go back to the beginning of the chapter, we we read this about Zechariah and Elizabeth. It says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So here you have a priest who's of the sons of Aaron who actually married a daughter of a priest. It's a pretty... uh, a holy family, a family that's, that's living in a pretty admirable way. They're, they're, they're putting a focus on God's work. Verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Here's a question. Who were they righteous before? God. Were they righteous before the community around them? The verse doesn't tell us that. It says they were righteous before God. They were walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. They were were valuing and participating in this sacrificial system that represented Jesus, whose righteousness alone avails in our lives. And notice this. It goes on to say this. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well-advanced in years. Now you see, we read this and we say, okay, well, they're righteous, they're perfect, they're these amazing people. But that's not what the community is thinking when they look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. And that's probably not what they're feeling when they look at their own lives because, you know, it was promised in Deuteronomy that if you keep the covenant, you follow God, you would have no barrenness among you. And Leviticus 20, verse 20, in fact, talks about how barrenness would come as a punishment for incest in a particular relationship. 
And there was this idea that sin, uh, that basically disease and sickness was a result of a curse for your sin. Do you remember when the disciples, they see the man who's born blind? What question do they ask Jesus? Whose sin is it that caused this man to be born blind, Jesus? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? (laughs) Jesus looks at him and he says, this guy is blind so that the glory of God can be revealed, so that God's goodness, so that I can heal him, so that he can know how good God is. That's what it's about. But we tend to look at, well, look at them. They don't have any kids. And you see, back then it was a whole lot harder. Now it's hard not to have kids. Back then... It was horrific not to have kids. Rachel, when she wasn't able to have kids, she prayed that she would die. It was, it was better for her to die than to be able to have kids. Um, you have story after story in the Bible where they were desperate to have children because, you know, for priests, for instance, they couldn't be a part of a San, the Sanhedrin unless they had children. In fact, there was a law in the Talmud that said a man could divorce his wife after 10 years if they hadn't had kids. It was such a big deal to have children that that you were looked upon with scorn for not being able to have children. So you imagine what it was like for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Year after year goes by, they're pleading with God. They're asking God, God, don't you hear? We're walking in your commandments and ordinances. We're trying to do what's right. God, why? And then there probably came a day when they said, you know, we're, we're too old. <laughs> this isn't going to happen. And you have to wonder, as he goes into the, the temple, you have to wonder if some of that is, is rumbling around in his mind. In fact, when Elizabeth is finally pregnant after this whole story, in verse 25, it says this, Thus the Lord has dealt with me, Elizabeth says, in the days when he looked on me to take away my what? My reproach among the people. You see, people looked at Elizabeth. They looked at Zechariah. They looked at them with scorn. They looked at them with reproach because obviously there's something hidden. There's something wrong in their life. They looked at them with a critical eye. But before God, they were righteous. They were blameless. God saw them in a completely different way than everybody else saw them. What matters, friends, is your character, not your reputation. People can do whatever they want to your reputation. They can say all they want to say about you. But what matters is who you really are before God. It's all about our character. And what our character is like is dependent upon what we understand about the character of God. And we see Zachariah here, and he doesn't fully grasp what the character of God is like because he is afraid, he's terrified, he's troubled there. Notice what thoughts from the Mount of Blessings says on page 74. It says, heathenism, that's all the pagan religions, teaches men to look upon the supreme being as an object of fear rather than love. A malign deity to be appeased by sacrifices rather than a father pouring upon his children the gift of his love. They, we look at God as, as, as this, this being who needs to be convinced to love us. And I'm afraid that this can creep into Christianity. It can creep into my thinking all too easy. It can, it can creep into my mind that who am I to be a pastor? Yeah, I'm going to stand up there and, and share the word of God. Am I worthy of this? 
No, the reality is I'm not. And I can begin to think that that God requires me to go through certain motions in order to gain his approval when really the reality is that he's a father delighting to pour out his love on his children. Just think about what took place when Jesus cleansed the temple. The triumphal entry happens. Jesus comes into the temple and he, he says some things that, that were pretty intense. He says, why are you making this a den of thieves? And he flips over tables. Because there were some self-righteous people there who were keeping other people from coming to God. And those people ran from Jesus. But immediately after that, the next verse says, Then the blind, the lame, came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Here's the reality of God's holiness. It is his holiness, his worthiness alone that heals us. We can only come to him in our sin. We have nothing to offer, nothing to bring. We come to him because we need healing. And we tend to think, well, I can't go to him. I can't come to him because I've got all this going on. No, the reality is you've got to come to him because you've got all of that going on. Speaking of being a pastor, uh, early on in my ministry, I remember a pastor telling me, he said, you know what? God has me in the ministry to save me. And I've come to realize it's probably true in my life too. If, if I didn't have the opportunity to be constantly focused on God, to be constantly trying to do everything possible to share Jesus with people, where would my focus be? Where would my life have gone? What would be the trend of my life? It's not because of my worthiness that I'm standing up here. It's because I need Jesus. <laughs> And the more that I get in touch with Jesus, the more he heals me and enables me to be able to share. So here's the thing. There are people among us who hold back from serving, who hold back from doing something big for God, who hold back from feeling like God can use us. You might be sitting here thinking, yeah, God can't use me. The reality is that God is asking for you to step out in service for him because as you come in contact with him, he's going to heal you. He's going to change you. It's not about your worthiness. It wasn't about Zachariah's worthiness. It's about the worthiness of Jesus. But oftentimes we let our feelings of unworthiness keep us from going the direction that would actually heal us, from from taking our Bibles and, and taking that time to connect with him, from going out and sharing with people because we don't feel like we have anything good to say. But really, it's in coming in contact with him that we experience our healing. Zacharias was fearful and troubled when he saw the angel. The Desire of Ages comments on this moment like this, page 97. It says, the position of the angel was an indication of favor. Did you catch the position of the angel? The little tiny detail, it says it's at the right hand of the altar of incense. That was the position of favor. Why had the angel shown up? It was showing up to bring favor, to bring goodwill, to bring blessing to Zachariah. But Zachariah Zacharias took no note of this. You see, a sudden shocking moment comes into his life and he assumes the worst. Oftentimes when things go bad in my life, I assume the worst rather than expecting that a God of love is there lavishing his goodness on me. 
For many years he had prayed for the coming of the Redeemer. Now heaven had sent its messenger to announce that these prayers were about to be answered. But the mercy of God seemed too great for him to credit. That sounds too good to be true. God can't really be that good. You don't understand what he's really like. The mercy of God seemed too great for him to credit. He was filled with fear and self-condemnation. What gave him fear? What gave him trouble of heart? He was focused on his unworthiness rather than the goodness of God. That's always the case. That's always what keeps us back from him is not recognizing how much he loves us and that we can open our hearts to him and that he can cleanse us from every bar of sin. He can heal us and he can transform our character. No, notice what the angel says, verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Don't be afraid, Zacharias. Often throughout the Bible, angels show up and they say, don't be afraid. They want for us not to be afraid. They want to bring peace to troubled hearts, filled with self-condemnation and fear because we're not crediting the mercy of God to be as good as it is. Notice what he says. What has been heard? Your prayer. Heaven has heard your prayer. Now, what prayer is he talking about? He's gone in there to confess the sins of God's people. He's gone in there to pray for the coming of the Messiah. That's part of it. But notice what he says. Your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Your prayer has been heard for a child. God has remembered you. Now here's the amazing thing. Sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray for something. And we're wondering why don't we get an answer. And finally we give up on praying because obviously God's not going to do it. And we think, well, we've stopped praying. Now there's absolutely no way it's going to happen. But God hasn't forgotten. God can still answer the prayers. God will still come through on his his promises, even though you don't have the faith to keep on praying. Notice the angel goes on. It says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. The name Zacharias, it means Yahweh has remembered. Zachariah is there. He's, he's fearful and he's troubled. He's wondering what's going on. He's afraid of what this messenger from heaven is going to do. But Yahweh has remembered him. For goodness, for grace. Do you get this? How incredibly good God is. His name itself represented the fact that God wasn't going to forget what he and Elizabeth were going through. Even though he felt forgotten. Even though he felt like God wasn't hearing his prayers. SDA Bible Commentary says it this way, God had not forgotten the prayer of his servants. He had written it in his record book to be answered in his own good time. Looking at outward appearances, Zacharias and Elizabeth had buried their hopes. They gave up. They stopped praying. But the Lord had not forgotten. He hasn't forgotten you this morning. I don't know what you've been praying for for years. He hasn't forgotten He's there for you. He cares about every detail of your life. How tender, how kind, how full of love and compassion is the great heart of infinite love. 
but Zechariah. He's, he's struggling with self-condemnation. He's not crediting the mercy of God. And this is his response. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Jesus, you could have, God, you could have answered this 20 years ago, but now it's not possible anymore. He'd forgotten what he was called to do in teaching other people the history of Israel, that it all started with an old man and an old woman named Abraham and Sarah, 100 years old, probably older than, than uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They might have been around the age of 60 or 70. We don't know for sure. It all started with an old man and an old woman who thought they couldn't have children, who God showed up and said, I'm going to make sure that the descendant comes through Sarah. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. The the angel messenger who has said that the the Messiah is coming has now come to Israel to show them that that he's sending the, the forebear and was sent to speak to you and bring you these, what is it? Glad tidings. The word there is the word that we get our word evangelism from, uang. It's it's the, the good news, the gospel. I have brought you the gospel. Notice what the angel goes on to say, though. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words. You didn't believe the gospel. You didn't believe the good news, which will be fulfilled in its own time. And therefore, you're not going to be able to speak. Now, just think about what this meant for Zechariah. Zechariah is currently there in the temple. And outside, it says, the people were waiting for Zacharias, and they're marveling that he's lingering so long in the temple. He's there. He's supposed to be praying in there. And after he prays, he's going to get to go out of the, the, the holy place, and he's going to get to stand before that congregation. And it's the one time in Zechariah's life that he's going to get to speak to the congregation. He's going to bless them. And he gets out there. And he can't do anything. He's just, just gesturing. He's, he's got nothing. I have nightmares about that. Seriously, I have a lot of nightmares about not being able to, to come up with the words. Usually I can say something. I just can't figure out the right thing to say. That's, that's the thing that plagues my life. Zechariah, the, the one moment when he gets to speak to the congregation, he's silent. The Desire of Ages says this, They had waited long and had begun to fear lest he had been cut down by the judgment of God. What were they marveling about outside? Uh Uh-oh, we forgot to tie a rope around that guy. (laughs) He's been cut down by God. That's what God does in his temple. God cuts people down in there. (laughs) And God came to announce the forerunner for the Messiah. God came to show up after 400 years of silence. God came to bless his people to answer their prayers. And they're thinking that God came to judge them. How often am I thinking the same thing? I think God is out to get me. I think he's there to hurt me. I think that he doesn't have my best in mind. And friends, we've got to get past this. We've got to recognize the goodness of God. We've got to have our eyes open to his love for us because this alone will save us in the end. There's coming a time of trouble that's like Jacob's time of trouble. And when we go through that, it's not going to be outward circumstances that are the problem. It's going to be what's happening in here and whether we're able to cling to God like Jacob clung to the angel. Do you know his goodness so much that you will hang on to him no matter what happens in your life? He's that good. Hang on to Jesus. 
He's got your good in mind. As Zachariah came out, everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. I have to wonder, why was it that God chose to silence him? And I think that maybe a solution in my own life to the doubts that rise up or the, the, the thoughts of accusation about, uh, of my self-condemnation and focusing on maybe criticizing other people or myself. Maybe I need to be silent. I need to be still and know that he is God. I need, need to stop talking, stop telling people all that I know, and start listening to God. Let's go and open my Bible and, and take time with God to listen to him. You know, for Zachariah, as he goes back home, you imagine as he goes to his home and he explains to Elizabeth and, and day in and day out, he's not able to do what a priest was supposed to do. He's not able to go and to teach the people, to talk to the people. He's not able to minister to them. For the next nine months, he gets to look at the goodness of God. You know, I've gotten recently to watch a, a beautiful pregnant woman grow. <laughs> Imagine as he's watching this miracle happening inside of his wife and he thinks, I didn't think God was that good. <laughs> I didn't think that was going to happen. He can't say anything. He can just keep looking and watching the goodness of God being worked out in his own family. And he says, this is incredible. God is that good. And he's going back to the Bible and he's studying through God. How come I didn't see that you were that faithful with Abraham? How come I didn't see that you were constantly faithful to your people? How come I didn't realize your goodness before? He's silent so that he can take some time to look and look and look to the goodness of God. There's a young woman who is, you probably actually know quite a bit about. Um, I shouldn't say you know quite a bit about, but you probably know quite a bit of what she has shared with the world. You know, the, the man that we talked about at the beginning, he said, how do you know whether these different circumstances are actually for your good or your evil? Well, this young woman... She was only six weeks old when a terrible thing happened to her. It was back in the day before modern medicine and her doctor uh, was out of town. And so this guy posing as a doctor, who they later said they turned out he was a quack, he came to her home and as a baby, she was sick and, and, and came to her home and said, here's what we need to do. We need to put this potion on her eyes and he had this hot mustard potion and he put it on her eyes and she lost her ability to see she became blind at six weeks old because of that doctor and that doctor soon dis doctor he wasn't really a doctor disappeared well it turned out that this young woman had a real talent for words Here's the first verse that we have recorded that she wrote at eight years of age. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. This is an eight-year-old girl. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot, I won't. I'm going to keep silent. I, I, I'm not going to talk these doubts. I'm not going to talk about why, God, why did this happen to me? I'm just going to be silent about this. And I'm going to focus on the goodness of God, all that he's done in my life. So Fanny Crosby, she went on to write thousands of hymns. 
9,000 hymns, I believe it was. So many that, that she actually would use pseudonyms for the hymns so that hymn books wouldn't be filled with only Fanny Crosby's name. Some of the most famous hymns you're probably familiar with. We sang the first one today, Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine sung by a woman who was blind from the age of six weeks old. All the way my Savior leads me. To God be the glory. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Safe in the arms of Jesus. Rescue the perishing. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Praise him, praise him. Song after song that you know and have been blessed by were written by this woman. And one day, a well-meaning preacher, he saw Fanny Crosby and he said this to her. He said, I think it is a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. What a pity that God couldn't have given you sight, Fanny. Well, Fanny immediately responded with this. Remember, she's blind from the age of six weeks old. She said, do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, one prayer, it would have been that I was born blind. If I could ask for one thing, let me be born blind. I don't want those six weeks to be able to see Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. She saw the goodness of God revealed in Jesus. And she knew that that was everything. And this has served to bless the world through beautiful music that has drawn all of us close to this incredible Savior. So I want to encourage you with two things today. Don't wait to come to God until you're worthy. Don't wait to serve God until you're worthy. Go to him because he heals. Share him with others because in the process of going and telling, we are healed. Take the goodness of God to the world. And two, Silence whatever voices are creating that self-condemnation and that doubt of his mercy. I don't know if it's people talking to you. I don't know if it's the things you've read or heard. I don't know what voices you're listening to in your life, but silence every other voice as much as possible except for the voice of Jesus. Take time to be still and know that he is God because this will change absolutely everything. Thank you, Jesus. For who you are, Lord, I don't know what's holding somebody back today from you. All of us need to open the door a little bit wider. Lord, I pray that we would see your goodness, that we would trust your mercy. Father, I pray that you would Lead us to look to your worthiness, to recognize that we come to you for healing, not because we've been changed already, that we desperately need you, that we've got to come to you who alone can change us. Father, I pray too that you would silence whatever voices are leading to self-condemnation and fear of you. Whatever is leading us to distrust your mercy. Father, would you please silence those voices and give us time to be still and know that you're God. Not just any God, 
but a good God who has provided everything so that we can come to you freely, who says, come, come and live. Father, we want to come like the blind and the lame who came to the temple. Father, we want to come and be healed. Father, I pray for those who need spiritual healing this morning, that you would cleanse from sin, Father, as we turn and look and live. Father, I pray for those this morning who need healing from the thoughts and and things that are plaguing their minds today. Father, would you heal their minds today? And Father, maybe there's somebody here today that just needs plain old physical healing. We ask for that healing according to your will, Father, that you would lay your healing hand upon them. Thank you for who you are. May we come and come and come. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.